We are back, and there's so many things we want to talk about uh, on this program. Uh, I want to talk about uh, the high cost of Chinese medicine, piece in The Economist about how um, the Chinese hate their doctors with cause. And there's so many cool science stories we want to talk about. Uh, but I think instead what I'm going to do is uh, do an obituary, which we sometimes do in this program, as you well know, if you're a regular listener. And although I do want to talk about uh, the passing of uh, legendary cartoonist Maury Turner, who was, somewhat surprisingly, perhaps a Yolo County resident, and uh, if the name isn't ringing a bell, um, we would note that he was the creator of Wee Pals, which was featured in newspapers for, I don't know, 40 years? We'll talk about Maury Turner in the future, because what I want to talk about is another military figure. In this case, Hiro Onoda who died a couple weeks back, who was quite a bizarre news story back in the 1970s. Hiro Onoda was an Imperial Japanese Army officer who remained in his jungle post on an island in the Philippines for 29 years, refusing to believe that World War II was over. It's a strange story for many aspects. Uh, Noted as obituary, also from the International New York Times. He was caught in a time warp. Lieutenant Onoda was one of the war's last holdouts, a soldier who believed the emperor was a deity and the war was a sacred mission. He survived on bananas and coconuts and, I did not know this, sometimes killed villagers he assumed were enemies. Apparently Onoda was one of several soldiers who... uh, got their final orders on February 28, 1945, when American forces landed on their island of Lubang. They were told, stand and fight. It may take three years, it may take five, but whatever happens, we'll come back for you. That was a quote from Major Yoshimi Tanaguchi. Well, that never happened, of course, and so these soldiers continued to, like, live in the hills and raid farms apparently killing the farmers on occasion in the process. Reportedly, over 30 inhabitants were killed in skirmishes with, uh, with them over the years. And the men regarded themselves at war, of course. They evaded American and Filipino search parties, although one of the enlisted men surrendered to the Filipino forces in 1950. Two others were shot dead, one in 1954 and another in 1972. That was by island police officers searching for the renegades. The last holdout was Lieutenant Onoda. He was officially declared dead in 1959, but was found in 1975 by Norio Suzuki, a student searching for him. The lieutenant rejected his pleas to go home, insisting he was still awaiting orders. Suzuki returned with photographs 
and the Japanese government sent a delegation, including Lieutenant's brother and his former commanding officer, to formally relieve him of duty. Yes, apparently Major Yoshimi Taniguchi finally came back to tell Onoda it was time to give it up. Now, Japanese history and literature are replete with heroes who have remained loyal to their cause, and uh, noted the obituary by Robert McFadden in the International New York Times, Japanese history and literature are replete with heroes who have remained loyal to a cause, especially if it was a lost or a hopeless cause. Lieutenant Onoda, a small and wiry man, seemed to many like a samurai of old, offering his sword as a gesture of surrender to Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos, who returned it to him. His homecoming, with roaring crowds, parades, and speeches by public officials, stirred his country with a pride that many Japanese had found lacking in post-war years. His ordeal of deprivation may have seemed a pointless waste to much of the world, but in Japan it was a moving reminder of the redemptive qualities of duty and perseverance. After his national welcome in Japan, Anuda was examined by doctors who found him to be in amazingly good condition. He was given a military pension and signed a $160,000 contract for a ghost-written memoir, No Surrender, My 30-Year War. Onoda went dancing, took driving lessons, and traveled up and down the Japanese islands, but he found himself a stranger in a strange land, disillusioned with materialism and overwhelmed by changes. In 1975, he moved to a Japanese colony in Sao Paulo, Brazil, where he raised cattle and in 1976 married Machi Onuku, a Japanese tea ceremony teacher. In 1984, the couple returned to Japan and founded the Onoda Nature School, a survivor skills youth camp. Well, who better? All right, on last week's program, we talked a bit about Pete Seeger. We do want to thank Gordon for the, uh, the email he sent about uh, Pete Seeger's um, communist history, which I think, due to time constraints, we're not going to have time to go into today. Let's instead talk to someone we've been meaning to bring on this program for some time, the alternating host of the Saturday Morning Folk Show. Welcome to Radio Parallax, Bill Wagman. Ah, thanks, Doug. It's a pleasure to be here. Bill, you've been doing this show how many years? I've been doing the Folk Show for about 12 or 13 years now and programming on KDVS for 22 or 23. Well, I take my hat off to you. That's, that's quite a long time of service. I, I, my first question I want to ask is, were you at the concert back at Freeborn Hall in the 70s that Robin was, the, when, when Pete Seeger basically uh, just brought down the house? No, I wasn't. I missed that one. It's been, the last time I saw Pete Seeger perform live was at a concert in New York, and that was sometime in the early 70s. I was in New York for a few years at the time, and okay. uh, I got to see Pete Seeger, Seeger do a concert there. And that's the last time I've seen him live. Well, the picture, the obituary shows a picture of him celebrating his 90th birthday at Madison Square Garden, and he looks uh, looked, looked pretty spry even at 90. As I understand it, um, he would chop wood every day and uh, as a way of keeping himself in shape. And I gather it worked. I guess so. I'm ambitious to start chopping some wood. I'd like to make it in 94 myself. Well, Bill, would you say he's been a huge influence on you uh, over the years? Oh, I've been listening to Pete Seeger's music for years. I mean, some of the first music I really remember hearing was Pete Seeger when I was a kid. 
Uh, my dad had a couple of Pete Seeger records and uh, would play them. And uh, I remember being aware of Pete Seeger back before high school even, I think, and uh, grew up listening to his music and his recordings. And actually, when I was learning to play music, uh, got a pup, uh, one of his books, his uh, book on how to play the banjo, <laughs> and I think, if I remember correctly, he was also involved in another book called The Folk Singer's Guitar Guide. Hmm. And I had a copy of that, too. And um, so in terms of learning to play music, yeah, uh, Pete Seeger had a role. Well, I guess he had a lot of hits with the Weavers back in the 50s on top of Old Smokey and such things. But uh, I certainly became aware of his music, if if not Pete himself, in the 60s when a lot of uh, artists were doing his tunes. Uh the Birds had a, had a hit, uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, etc. And I guess, uh, I don't know, someone else did Little Boxes, but uh, what a great tune. Yeah, Malvina Reynolds wrote it, and I think Pete copied it and popularized it and made it aware, made people aware of it. Well, maybe that was his song, then. I guess, I guess did, did he, was he on the, on the airwaves in the 60s with that? I don't know. I was not listening to folk music on the radio back in the 60s much. Um, in those days, I was listening to rock and roll, but... Uh, he did have a TV show uh, that I, the name of which escapes me at the moment. Uh, and um, it was on, I, I'm not sure how many episodes he did, but he would have various people uh, as guests. And I never saw the actual TV show, but I have, it, it's a, several episodes are available as DVDs. And he had a lot of folk music as well as folk musicians as well as blues musicians on the program and it's um it, it was a good show on network is like like a summer fill-in show or i don't remember huh. i don't know the details of it i just know that uh, some of the episodes are available uh, i believe on youtube and and some of them are also available on dvd at this point well, Bill, uh, for a guy that was sort of always outside the mainstream, I'm sort of shocked looking at the obituary note that he recorded more than 100 albums? Yes, he did. Um, the, about 70% of them are on Folkways, and I think they're all available still on Smithsonian Folkways. But you, know, you mentioned um, television. One thing I do remember uh, about Pete Seeger and television was when the Smothers Brothers had their show, they invited him to perform on the program. Right. And he wanted to do uh, Waist Deep in the Big Muddy, and CBS uh, prohibited them from having him on the show initially, and after uh, much argument and some time later, he was finally able to be on the Smothers Brothers television hour, and I do remember that. I did, I did see that. Yes, I remember that as well. I guess on this this week's show, you're going to do a uh, tribute to Pete Seeger. I understand that, uh, that the, even the record companies have relaxed the rules on this just so that his music can be heard. Is that, is that true? Yes, they uh, they have, and I did, you know I've got a good number of his old Folkways albums, which I plan to play a lot of, plus some of his newer stuff, and uh, I can keep going for more than three hours. So <laughs> I'm I'm hoping to be able to fill the whole three hours with uh, music of Pete Seeger. What, what an outstanding tribute. I hope that uh, listeners will certainly tune in on Saturday for that. Uh, I will do that myself. Well, good. Well, Bill Wagman, thanks so much. Glad we finally got you on, and I'm sure that we'll bring you back sometime soon. All right. Appreciate it. All right. 
That about does it for time. You are listening to Radio Parallax. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. And I guess for the second week in a row, we'll go out with some bumper music by the immortal Pete Seeger. Although in this case, Mr. Millen, I would prefer if we're going to do, uh, if I had a hammer, let's do the Peter, Paul, and Mary, Mary version, shall we? If I had Oh!